Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hi, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pearce, and this podcast is recorded in Wajak Noongar Buja, Perth, Western Australia. Sovereignty never ceded. On this episode, I get to chat with Danny and Michael Philippou, aka Raka Raka, about their bonkers and brutal horror film de- debut, Talk To Me, which lands in Australian cinemas tomorrow, July 27th. This fucked up film is a possession story mixed with a touch of social commentary. Ultimately, it's a film with no safety nets. It's not mucking about at all. Talk To Me is a film that intends to make you have one of the most unsettling nights watching a horror film, and the best part is that the Filippos know that you're going to enjoy doing it. It's a new benchmark for horror films, and it instantly stands as one of the grittiest, grimiest, grueling, and grotty, gore-tastic Australian horror films ever. I am on board for whatever the Philippou brothers do going forward. Uh, you know, on the basis of Talk To Me Alone, there is nothing like this going right now. This is easily the best film I've seen this year and arguably one of the very best horror films I've seen in a very long time. In the following interview, the Philippou brothers talk about how they crafted the film, what they learned from their explosive YouTube career, what working alongside screen legend Miranda, Miranda Otto was like, and as well, what it means to be an Australian filmmaker working today. Look, take it from me, Talk To Me is a film you simply cannot miss on the big screen. I know that Australian audiences are a little bit apprehensive about going to see horror films in cinemas, but please make sure to head along and go and see it opening weekend. Forget Barbie, forget Oppenheimer, they will be around for a very long time. Talk To Me deserves to be seen with a sh- with an audience, a stacked audience who is having as shocking a time as you are. Anyway, let's listen to the trailer and then we'll be right back with the interview with the Philippou brothers. <laughs> Have you seen the group chat? They're doing it again tonight. No. Please. It's my mum's remembrance day. I just want to forget about it. I'll do it. Cannot go for more than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90 seconds? Don't want to stay. Light the candle to open the door. Blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say, talk to me. Talk to me. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good, we're good. Excited to be good. about the film. 
Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, congrats. Uh, I got to see it at Sundance remotely um, and it was just, I watched it on my phone, which is a terrible thing to do, but it <laughs> scared the shit out of me. So congrats. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you have headphones on? <laughs> I, I did, I did. And then Dude. I was watching, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I kept on bumping my partner who was asleep and uh, <laughs> she kept on going, why on earth are you doing this? What are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> You don't understand. I'm watching this film and it's messing me up. Uh, so congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to start off with uh, talking about this is your directorial debut. What's it like to have this film kind of out in the world, not only having, you know, rave receptions out of Sundance, but then getting picked up by A24 too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just the most surreal, bizarre feeling ever. Like, yeah. Still feels like we're dreaming and it's everything that we've ever wanted to do. So it's just been incredible. It's insane. Yeah. Congratulations. And now it's heading out to the world in Australia. Um, there is a distinctly Australian tone to it, of course, because, you know, you guys are Australian, but that is really quite prominent in different ways in the way the characters talk. But then, of course, we've got, you know, the Australiana aspects of, the, you know, the poor kangaroo and things like that. Um, and yet it still feels universal. And I'm curious if you can talk about how important it was to to balance that Australian aspect as well as making it a global feeling story. You know, that wasn't really like in our minds. We weren't like thinking, oh, how do we make this international and how do we make this like, uh, yeah, like I, we weren't really, I guess, doing that consciously. Like our channel is YouTube, right? Our, on YouTube is Australian, but we have like an international audience. So we were kind of maybe just like, not we're like, oh, we should be able to do that with a movie, you know? And I think the characters are just relatable worldwide. But having that Australian flair was very exciting. Well, every, every, like, we live in Australia. All the experiences were Australian. Everyone I know, like, you know, uh, the characters that are based the characters on were Australian so it's just like that natural dialogue and that natural like I was just writing what I know and it would have felt weird I think if we did it American yeah you know like like felt really or something because that's just not how we grew up yeah know? yeah and with that in mind as well has there kind of been reactions uh, like from an international side about some of the words or you know the different slang that we've we use uh, not really. Yeah, you know what? Like, I thought it would be more of a, like, yeah, like a, a bit of a, like, they'd be more separated from it. But all the humor and stuff seems to hit and, like, like, over there. Yeah. And, like, I didn't realize how many swear words there were in the film until, you know, <laughs> <laughs> someone said that to me. It's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, I guess it really is. A There's a lot of swear words. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just, um, it just translated so well. Like, yeah, we're sitting in an audience screenings and the hearing reactions to jokes that were like, that felt very Australian. It's still translated, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about the fine balance of the threat of violence and then also actually seeing the violence as well, um, because it is, you know, there no holds barred. Like it, it is just a really intense film in in that capacity, and we get to see some things that just we don't really get to see very often in horror films because there almost feels like a level of restraint of trying to make sure that you know you're balancing to get an audience. And I'm curious if you can talk about trying to decide what to show and what not to show. It was like it was a constant. Uh, discussion because we didn't want the film to just be gratuitous for gratuitous sake. We didn't want to make like a, a splatter film, you know, so it was, we wanted it to work as a drama film and as a horror film and for those moments to be earned. So it was always a constant discussion about uh, kind of how far to take things. And, you know, yeah. like if you've seen our YouTube stuff, you know, you'd know that we could mm. 
maybe take it further, but you know, we kind of, yeah, we're trying to tread the line of like, what's, what's right for the story, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I remember the initial drafts were way more full on and way more violent, but it was about peeling it back and, and like finding it. And then even in post-production, like we shot like a scene that went for two minutes longer it, it, that's in the theatrical cut. And then like knowing, okay, this is just too much. Like, like, like peel it back and let it still be, yeah, comfortable. Yeah, what's the yeah, what's the amount that need, like is right for the film? But it's even like, then, we do definitely push the line here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it's also the manner of the way the violence is is played out. Like there is a scene where one of the characters is bashing their head on, you know, a, a chest of drawers, and the moment which I think is probably the pinnacle of that is where he hesitates for a second and then slams his head down again, like he's trying to hold back from it happening. Um, but that level of restraint there of going, oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to stop this from happening to myself is it just makes the violence actually impact even more. And I'm curious if you can talk about those creative choices as well to make sure that it's not just kind of a presentation of gore or anything like that, but making sure that there is character action in there too. But there's, there's like a, uh, you just get invested with the characters and people were talking about how violent the opening of the movie is when really there's no blood in that opening at all. But like, it's just because like you're, you're attached to those characters in that moment and it, that somehow makes it feel more visceral, more violent when you're connected to those characters. Yeah, um, like, it, yeah, it's like, yeah, the character motivation is very strong with us, like with what everyone's reaction is to things, you know, and, and the impact that those moments have on the characters in the world after that. Uh, was very important to us and like yeah it was it was yeah like it very plotted out and planned out so it was and having great performers that can add that kind of you know character you know the realism of the the acting like just adds thing a whole other layer to it too you know mm. so it was it was great when uh when you shooting that stuff and seeing it come together like in the edit and stuff was amazing yeah let's talk about the casting as well because the cast is so pitch perfect and great. How did you go about getting the right people for each of the roles? It was just like uh, trying to find the most authentic people possible. And as soon as we saw each person, we knew they were right for the character. It was such a, a, a it felt like Christmas every time the um, casting agent would give us new audition tapes to go through. And we were really pushing. We're like, we haven't found this person yet. We haven't found this person yet. There were some people that took such a long time. But we were casting for nearly two years. Uh, <sighs> Thanks to COVID as well. Thanks to COVID, got a little extension. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it gave us the time to really find the people that were right. And um, and when we did see them, we knew. And it was like, yes, yes, yes. And then, like, it was like a piece of the puzzle. And then when it all came together and, like, those, like, rehearsal processes with all the actors was the, like, oh, it was the best thing ever to see. Like, it's not just on page anymore. These, yeah, these amazing, talented artists, like, performing it Bring live. It to life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, like, w- working it through them as well and finding other parts that you don't think fits or, or that, that you wouldn't say, would you say this a different way? Like, what do you think your motivations are here? Like, like tapping into them and letting them completely embody the characters as well. Like, giving them the freedom to express themselves in their roles too. Mm. I mean, there is certainly a lot of that. And, you know, we're, we're getting to see characters who we've, almost seen before but because of the performances they feel new and reinvigorated and this friendship this kind of makeshift family that comes about from these characters is just so it feels organic and that I think leads into what you're saying about you know getting the right actors for the role but with that in mind as well you've got somebody like Miranda Otto and I don't think I've ever seen her 
do something like this before. <laughs> how, how important was it to get like an Aussie film icon like Miranda Otto for a character like this? Well, thank God that she came on board and said yes, because like we already were casting so many new names or people that were like coming up that like uh, we lost money out of the budget just by casting Sophie because she wasn't a name. And like having Miranda come on board, which was so amazing, like gave us uh, like a bit of wiggle room to keep casting the no names. Like we had her, so that was something at least. So that, that just gave us more freedom of casting. And she also was just so perfect for the role too and so collaborative and warm. She was like an auntie when we met her. You know. It was daunting to be like, who are we to direct Miranda Otto? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was so open for collaboration and amazing on set that, and she was, you know, she was full with the vibe as well of the set. Like, um, yeah, she was so much fun to work with. There, there feels like there, there's like this unrestraint to her performance as well. Like she's never really, she's given great performances and been able to have fun before, but she's not been able to have fun in this way. She's not been able to swear like this as well. Yeah. And I, I'm curious if you can talk about, like you said, you know, she's a bit of an auntie in some capacity, but if you can talk about the creation of that character um, with her as well, what kind of freedom you gave her to play around with it. That, that character was like just based on those mums that you were like loved. Like, like there's always those friends that have the cool mum. Like she lets people drink, she swears, and you're always like, oh, that mum's so cool. Like I remember like being like attracted to like my friends' mums and like being wanted to be around them. Like they're so fun to be around. Uh, and so like they were like tapping into that and then also on set there was a lot of stuff that was written but then also giving Miranda like we did a lot of improv as well that day it was like throwing curveballs like change what the kids say to her change what she says to them it was always just like mixing it up and like just there, there was it. once she came up and said can I swear in this moment we're like yeah go for it it's fine and then she boom delivered you like whoa <laughs> <laughs> like yeah uh, it was and man you want to use every take of Miranda she's just so she's great so fun yeah yeah and that was a yeah. really fun day on set when she's questioning the kids when she's questioning the kids yeah we did a lot of fun that was all shot one day it was so trying not to laugh like during a take because it's just so hilarious yeah yeah so with that in mind as well like you guys have got a really well established YouTube career and you know following and all that kind of stuff which is so vibrant and energetic how do you transfer that over to a feature film it's got to be different energies is that right you know, it kind of wasn't in a way like <laughs> it was crazy on set, like, you know, because we have, I guess, yeah, just too much energy, you know, but it was kind of like we were up against the clock. It was a five week shoot. It was supposed to be an eight week shoot. So we we're really up against the clock. So that energy, I think, helped it. But then also there needed to be times to peel it back because we are dealing with heavy subject matter and there's some really intense scenes. It's like you know, putting times, you know, to put tape on Danny's mouth. So we're not <sighs> jumping around. But then much. it was also like talking to Sam, like there was some days like we need to have racket energy here because there's 30 setups that we need to get today. And it's impossible to like do that normally. You have to, we, we had to go rogue sometimes. Yeah, we have to do it the, the YouTube way for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So is there a difference between racket, racket energy and, you know, your energy as filmmakers, like as named filmmakers now? Well, yeah, I think that, like, it's like about talking to the actors and taking time, like, oh, let's try one like this, let's do this. Like, that's one energy. And then there was one where there's a montage in the scene and we had two hours to get, like, 30, 40 shots. And we're just like, move that over there, do this over here, move that, good, do it, sir. bring that in, move that, move that, move that. Like, literally screaming and, like, like, two camera people running around, crew members trying to keep up and, like, doing it. And then the actors, like, feeling that energy, playing music in the room and, like, encapsulating the chaos. Uh, was like that was like the racker energy days where it was like well we had to go rogue but it's also like with the energy it's like not taking 
yourself so seriously, you know, it's like just being loose with it and being open for collaboration and like working with people. You know, I've, I've been on some film sets where it just feels like there's a lot of, lot of entitlement or something. I don't know. It's like, I just wanted to be like, we're all together a team making something together, you know, and then everyone's there to help. It's like, you know, being a team as opposed to like against people. Yeah. With that in mind, like Australian horror has kind of come and gone and it's, you know, flitted here and there. And then we've had a slight renaissance with like the Babadook and Relic and things like that. And they're a certain style of Australian horror. They're a little bit more, um, I guess, grounded is the word that people would use. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you're kind of coming in a balance that there is a grounded aspect to it, but it's also that kind of gnarlier stuff that we might have expected from the Ozploitation era. Is there a fun in being able to play with that and kind of distort what Australian horror can be? Well, yeah, it's just like being true to ourselves and that's our our art, the way that we express ourselves. So it, it's a, when I look at it, I can't, I can't really look at it through that lens. I'm like, are we tapping into this? I, I, I don't know what we're tapping into. I don't know like where we're sitting on like the shelf of like all this stuff, but it's just like our voices and our way of being creative. And it's just like translating what we did on YouTube a little bit to the screen a bit. Uh, yeah, it's our yeah. style. And you know what was amazing, speaking of Australian horror, going to like Berlin Film Festival and Sundance and seeing so much Australian horror there it's like really, I feel like has a resurgence and hopefully all this, you know, their films, our film helps like open the doors to like for Australian filmmakers to take, you know, I guess more like, yeah, like a risk, like a risky risks, you know, yeah. in different genres and stuff. Like I'd love to see that because I think we've got so many awesome stories to tell uh, down here in the land down under. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, like in talking with filmmakers, I've talked to a lot of them over the years and genre is almost a dirty word in Australia because we're so, you know, adept and attached to like documentaries and dramas and maybe a comedy here or there, but it's always like, oh, don't do horror, don't do sci-fi because that doesn't sell. But then clearly with your film, it has sold. So is there, do you feel some kind of responsibility in leading a new pack of filmmakers going forward? Obviously it's, you know, a big call because the film's not really launched yet, but I, I you must I, feel that. <laughs> like, well, I, I, I don't want to look at it that way. Like, oh, that was just, I don't want to feel like I'm leading anyone. Uh, we're just like literally just. If it's just like, we've kind of maybe like opened the doors a bit and like, we're happy that that hopefully they can let more people be like, speak in that, you know, and, and pursue genre. And like, you know, it's, it's weird. Like, yeah, I guess we kind of, I guess Australians like kind of held back a little bit on, on chasing the genre stuff. It's like, the Americans love it. I don't know. I like I, in general, Americans and overseas people love Australians. Like no one hates an Australian. You know? <laughs> so let's make more Australian films a genre for a worldwide audience. Why not? Well, that's it. Like there's always that conversation about do you go for the domestic box office or do you go for the international? And you know, yes, horror is done really well in, in internationally, mostly in America, um, and that's quite an important thing. Does that play in mind as well? I mean, obviously with YouTube, I know that often like with YouTubers, you got to look at how many, what your audience uh, reaches, how many viewers and all this kind of stuff. Did that play into your mind in the creation of the script and writing what the audience reach might be? Well, we, we always just, I always like when my editing is putting an audience first and thinking about it, but like, like it really, the script really did just come from expressing ourselves and, and well, even YouTube, like we never were like, going after a specific thing or a, like a different country or, or thing like that like we were just mm. 
doing our thing. And then like, you know, the people that like, that's the great thing about social media is you can find your, you know, your home kind of thing. Like you can see people that you relate with and like, you enjoy their content and the way they make things. It's like, we, we found that. And like, we saw early, like a lot of our audience wasn't actually Australian on with the YouTube stuff. It was international. So mm. I don't know. It was, yeah. It was a willful bliss to say, Oh, you know, why can't I just feel the film then? You know? Well, it was like, yeah. Yeah, we don't like to, if we analyze it too much, I think it starts to feel a bit manufactured. So it's just about just trying to be yourself and express yourself. And like if we, because if we went at that lens, like uh, like what's right for audiences and stuff, I know that there would have been a lot of stuff that we would have peeled back and mm. been done more generic to this is what works. So let's do that because that's going to hit this audience. It's like, uh, it's like just make the movie that that we're proud of with the team and stuff. And then like, you know, whoever likes it, likes it, I guess. Yeah. So with that in mind, what kind of cinematic influences do you have as filmmakers? What was the stuff that you grew up watching? Yeah. Like even like very, very young, the thing that like wanted me to become a writer or like directing was like Goosebumps books. I was so obsessed with Goosebumps books and R.O. Stein. Like I remember that being a big thing. And well, mine was more like, I remember watching really young The Sopranos and being like drawn and then, and then hearing about like, this is a TV show that's well written and things like that. And then like, when you watch it, even if as like you're young, you don't really understand what it is, but it has this effect on you and you don't know why. It's like, that's something that's well-written. Um, like, yeah, like things that I think we've just like kind of borrowed from like all different influences. So many, yeah, there's so many different influences. Ridiculous ones. And then like rule, you know. You like know, from Xena Warrior Princess to like in Bong treatment Juno. of HBO, Bong Juno, there's so many different influences that like we tap into. Yeah, it's it's never any like one specific thing, but it's just like, I love the return, this Russian film, or let the right one in, or you know, it's from it's just everywhere. Like because you just consume so much that everything just lives in there subconsciously. It's uh, yeah. I don't and know. then like you see things that like connect with the audience, like even like they say the Pixar films and stuff, where it's like it's a kids' film, but adults love it too. It's like why is that connecting with so many people, the, all different walks of life? It's like, oh, I guess like just like, yeah, consuming things and seeing like what, what works. And then like, I, I guess you know, we create our own style out of all the stuff that we watched as yeah. 30 kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it. Like you're talking about watching The Sopranos too young. And it's like, for me, I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was 13. And that had, that really informed what kind of stuff I would be seeking out and watching. Is there, crazy. like I was 13 years no, old. No, younger. You were 10. Was that? No, was that? Yeah, it was like 2003. Oh, 2003. When I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2003 version uh, in cinema, and get, I, and that was the first time that I walked out of cinema, you know, because I got so scared. And I like swear I was hearing chainsaws for the next month or so. I don't know. <laughs> so we're the next gen after you. That was like, there was the remake that we saw. But then you, but then you uh, look at the original like that and you go, fuck, it's even scarier. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, as I was saying, like I watched it, I was 13 and I remember it so clearly. I, I vomited watching that film in the scene where she gets put on the hook and it's just like, I just went there, you know, and, and there's, there's moments in talk to me where I'm like this, if I was 13, that is the kind of vis like the visceral reaction I might have. I know that like, obviously this has certain ratings and stuff like that. And it's for a certain audience, but is there a hope that like a 13 year old, a 10 year old might, you know, well, discover yeah. this film. <laughs> that's a rite of passage and a coming of age is to watch something you're not supposed to, like a movie that's too scary. Like, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I like, how cool if that taps into... And, like, we got to do that with some of our racket stuff. So people are like, you really fucking 
traumatize us in our childhood. I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you should listen to your parents and then when they're asleep, watch it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, I've really appreciated being able to talk with you guys. Like, this is seriously no no lie like this is the best film i've seen this year i've just i've been itching to watch it again it hasn't left me um it is just a it's the kind of horror film that i just want to hold on to and be like yeah this is this is something serious um i'm excited to see what people say about it i'm excited to see what the audience reaction is like uh now it's heading out to australia what's your what's your hopes and dreams for australian audiences uh, getting to watch it well, yeah, just that they enjoy it and then see themselves on screen to be so cool. And, and then, then embrace it and then guess, be proud of, like, Australian cinema more, like, and, like, I think that'll help, like, make people want to make stuff for, like, in Australia as well. Yeah. It's like, look, you can do this and be... So many, so many young people you talk to are like, oh, it's an Australian film. For some reason, there's this cultural cringe. Yeah, it's such a thing. Yeah, it's like, let's erase that and be, like, <laughs> proud of that and, like, and then let's make stuff for international audiences, but in the Australian way, you know. Yeah, it, it makes me really happy to hear that. I cover Australian films predominantly and, you know, I, I hear that from a lot of filmmakers that there is almost like this shame or this cultural stigma about making Australian films. So it's great to hear it from you both that, like, we, we've got to find that pride again. Uh, so hopefully yeah. it, it gets that, yeah. Once again, thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see it. I'm getting to see it. I think it's on the 11th of July here in Perth again. So I'm looking yeah, forward to seeing amazing. the big screen. Can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Thank Cheers, you. man. No worries. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.